welcome to the latest installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by a panel of very experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, how to get the best out of engineers. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So we'll start with Stephanie. Uh, yes, hi, my name. So my name is Stephanie. I'm a senior product manager at Portchain, a company that aims uh, to optimize uh, the alignment process within the container shipping industry. I've been working with software development for the last six years uh, as a product manager. And um, before I became product manager, I was actually a customer success manager. And I've been working with customer support in the SaaS products for the last 11 years. And um, working at Portchain, I work with a team of five developers, UX designer, designer, um, and um, I love running uh, in my spare time. That's uh, one of my favorite activities. Thank you, Stephanie. On to Vasil. Yep. So, hi, my name is Vasile Popescu. I'm the CTO and co-founder of a small startup based in Copenhagen, uh, which is called Tecudo. Uh, over there, we're building a SaaS tool, a web application, which is helping investors uh, and VCs and private equity firms uh, in order to measure how sustainable the portfolio companies uh, they invest in are. So not only to measure, but also to help them to become even more sustainable. Um, before that, I've been at Airtame, a super cool company based in Copenhagen as well, uh, where I had different roles uh, within the, the whole software de- uh, development department. Um, yeah, I've been in the software industry for quite a long time. 12, 13 years, uh, both as an engineer, but also as an engineer manager. Um, what do I do in my free time? I like to read social psychology books, philosophy. Uh, recently, I'm also looking a little bit into the AI and the new advancement in machine learning. I think the field is has come to a quite impressive stage. Um, I also like to cook. Mm, but yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thank you for that. And moving on to Manish. Hello. Um... Uh, my, my name is Manish Mehta and uh, I've, I work in Maersk as a global business product owner in uh, developing value-added services uh, products for our customers. I've uh, been in this uh, role for about two years, but before that I was a portfolio owner in, uh, in finance for managing a fund in, in Dubai uh, for Maersk. And uh, I, I really like uh, enjoying uh, biking in Denmark. I think it's one of the best places to bike uh, in the world. And uh, I also, uh, I'm spending a lot of time in, in uh, learning about products. I'm doing a course with MIT on design thinking and uh, work with a lot of uh, colleagues from engineering, uh, UX design uh, these days for our products to, to be available online. So very happy to be part of this uh, debate. Thanks. Great stuff. Thank you, Manish. And moving on to Natasha. Yeah. Hi, my name is Natasha Kelehill. Um, and I am the product manager uh, of a company called Suvi. Uh, and in Suvi, we have like a creative marketing platform in two parts where you can both um, create and build your display and social ads. And then you can also uh, manage, export and host your campaigns through our second part of our product. And besides that, I'm also leading our uh, product engineering team and I'm the manager of uh, five developers um, and before I came uh, to, to Suvi I've been here for seven and a half months almost yeah as a product manager then I was a product specialist at uh, Plante. Um yeah and also worked in uh, customer success actually before that and then outside of work I am quite active actually I uh, work out uh, or run five to eight times a week and then I am very creative so I bake I paint sing dance I do a little bit of acting 
designing so close as well. So uh, a lot of everything. Great stuff. I appreciate the introductions from everybody. And now that we've established a little bit of context from each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. I know that Manish, you posed a question to the panel. The question was, how relevant is it for engineers or developers to be aligned with the business vision, priorities and expected outcomes? Would you like to give us a little bit of background onto this? Yes, um, thanks. And um, we we work with a lot of tech teams, um, and you know we figured out somewhere down, uh, you know, in the middle of the journey or early parts of the journey, when we don't get the expected outcomes uh, that we were promised, we try to understand, and then uh, you know there are all sorts of sorts of uh, reasons that they give, and it all points out to what they understood in the beginning. I mean. Uh, Many times we figured out they're not aligned with the with the goal and they're just uh, running a tunnel vision. So how could we lift them up uh, to the level of where the business is, and uh, how can we make them the same vision that we are seeing? So they are aligned from day one. Is is what we felt uh, is important. So. Uh, yeah, but let me know if, if it's, uh, I need to explain any bit of it more. No, no, that's perfect. Stephanie, if you'd like to kick us off for how relevant you think it is for engineers to be to be aligned with business vision. Um, I think from my point of view, it's actually a balance exercise, can, which can be quite difficult. Um, I wanted to share maybe a, a personal experience from my previous position uh, where Often we would have these quarterly meetings. Well, actually, it's not often. Every quarter we would have these quarter, big quarterly meetings where, you know, the big strategy, the business, the big, big, you know, uh, vision were uh, given to everyone sitting in one room, both the commercial side as well as the product and the development. And most of these were very, very high level. And then we would sit for three days and literally schedule the whole next quarter uh, based on, on this. And... What I noticed is that often our developers would uh, question how relevant uh, those, you know, big vision uh, were and um, how this would apply and how much value they were actually delivering from that. And it turns out that often we would experience um, a lack of ownership around this business vision, um, as well as a lack of motivation throughout the quarter because it was so far away from them. Um, I think they often felt that it was not tangible, uh, not concrete for them. So that's really something that as a PM, I was always trying to bring the high level uh, business vision and bring it down to, yeah, actual how we were delivering value to uh, to our users. And it was quite difficult. And today I'm actually sitting in a company that's much smaller, where everybody's very, very close to the business outcome because it's not like this big corporate company. And I can notice, um, I can really notice a difference how committed uh, people are. And that's because it's way more tangible. It's something that they can express into their daily life. Whenever they're actually developing something, they can really feel how this is serving the vision and um, the outcome for the whole company. So at least from my perspective, it's really about trying to create these very concrete examples of how the things that you're working on on your daily life as a developer, how this actually connects to maybe the high level vision or, you know, the business uh, kind of direction uh, that a company is taking. Um, yeah, they need, we need to somehow create some sort of relation, right? Developers need to be able to relate uh, to, to what we're building also in the grand scheme of things. Yes, yeah, a very insightful point there. And I mean, when you say about making developers be able to relate to the problems and to like, tune in with the company's vision, what plans would you put forward to a product manager in a similar position to yourself to make those 
those ambitions are actionable? Um, I think it's very much, you know, we have this thing about focusing on the value and the outcome, right? Uh, that's something that we need to do is, is, is a really hard exercise actually as a product manager, right? It's really not necessarily focusing just about, you know, how do we deliver features and that how feature can be translated into dollars and, you know, monetary value, but it's also about what is it that, like, are we trying to make our users more successful by doing this and that? So it's actually relating more to the value uh, that what is being built. And it's, I think it's a really hard exercise. I'm still learning, actually, to be honest, to do this. Uh, and that's also because I've been working in a lot of organizations where it's about the next feature. It's about making the you know the investors happy um and it hasn't always been about how do we actually deliver strong value and i would love to hear actually from everyone if everyone has other ideas of how we can best relate uh, that value to uh, to developers i've i've actually been struggling myself with it a lot yes yeah, certainly so i'd like to put it out to the room does anybody else have any opinions i can jump um so like I completely relate to this and I completely agree that it's a super tough problem to solve. I honestly don't know if there is a silver bullet solution to it. I guess it really comes down to like a lot of hard work and a lot of communication uh, all the way from the top level management to the to the to the team leads and to the product managers that are working directly with those engineers. Like eventually engineers want to code and sometimes you see them getting distracted and perhaps uh, chasing an interesting problem to solve which perhaps sometimes relates, but some other times does not relate necessarily um, and directly to the actual outcome that maybe you as a product manager are after. And sometimes, yeah, you'll just have to pull them out of that, uh, you know, focus zone and interesting problem they're, they're trying to solve. Um, but obviously it is relevant and I completely agree that it's super relevant to have everyone aligned, at least when it comes to the priorities and to the, to the outcomes that are expected from them. When it comes to the overall vision, I think in general, the short answer from my side at least is yes course, or at least the vision should not necessarily, like the vision of the company and the vision of, let's say, one particular engineer should not collide. Let's say, I don't know, the company is building electric cars, and then the engineer has always wanted to build uh, the best note-taking app, let's say. In that case, there is a mismatch, eventually will not work. But I've also seen super strong and really good engineers that were adding a lot of value to the team that were not necessarily super motivated then. Uh, you know, they were not waking up in the morning just to build up for that vision that the company had. Um, I don't know, Google's vision is to organize the whole world information um, and making it accessible be, just by one click. I really believe there are some Google engineers which are, are not waking up in the morning and say, hey, yesterday I'm going to go and build the, and organize the world's information uh, and put it just at one click distance. It does happen, but I think it's, you should also expect that, you know, some engineers are a lot more motivated and, um, you know, passionate about really building the like the best software they can build and are passionate about the craft itself or building building great software. And then the job of the managers is just to align that to the actual uh, uh, vision of the company and to make best use of those engineers. And there, there are also multiple profiles of engineers, right? You have some that are a lot more interested in, um, you know, seeing how their work and their feature is uh, really solving a real problem out there in the world. And some, there are some others which are a lot more motivated about the technology itself. It can be used in a washing machine or it can be used on a rocket for them. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there is a one answer to rule them all, so to say. It's a lot about understanding uh, the context and the team and the motivation of, uh, of uh, yeah, each person. But I've seen, yes, in some, some cases, it's super important to expose the engineers to the actual real value the, the work they do uh, creates out there in the world. Sometimes by 
just bringing the voice of customers closer to the engineers. I've seen some companies actually getting engineers uh, one day a month or so uh, joined uh, customer uh, support conversations uh, via rotation. Um, it works if also the engineers are interested in that. I've also seen some engineers that just don't want to do that. They, they prefer to have the bug reports coming from, let's say, the QA department. They prefer to hear, uh, you know, what the customers want through the filter of a product manager uh, that has, you know, taken all the feedback from all the customers and then carefully thought uh, product roadmap, so to say. Like, yeah, sorry, I don't have a one clear answer. It's just a lot of uh, things to, to consider and, and to look at the context and then to, to decide what's best for that particular team, for that company at that particular moment in time. Yes, but certainly. it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of hard work that the managers, both engineer managers, but also product managers need to put in place and continually, continuously to, to keep up that work. Is, uh, Certainly, we're not looking for a definitive answer, just an open discussion. And you raised some very good points there, especially in regards to Google. Their overall vision may be different to the job that an, one engineer sees when he comes in on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a very good point in terms of the size and scale of the organisation. Will each individual engineer's job be directly related to the overall mission statement and the vision of the organisation? But I mean, I'd like to hear Natasha's input on this question. Yes. Well, we uh, we have these strategy um, meetings like every six months, I think it is. Um, and then what I did this time was I took all the changes that we made uh, and kind of wrote them down. And then at one of our meetings, I just told the team, like, this is what we're going with, just so you're aware that this is the strategy we've uh, put down for the coming two years. Uh, and this is what it means for you guys. So they understood like, okay, so now we're doing this uh, and what we need to do uh, is not to build, you know, for example, a lot of products uh, and a lot of features at the same time and then they were kind of more aligned and they understood what the what the what do you call it? the uh, the strategy meant for them and then whenever we have uh, our box and our support tickets they come in directly to our board and then they take them they have a week each where they're uh, in charge of this so they are also a lot in touch with the customers about what they want what they need and what issues there are and uh, that works really well for us. But again, we're also a small company. Um, but they, I, I, in general, I have a team that really likes to be involved in the company and they really want to know like, and know what value they bring and see the exact value they, they bring to the customers. So also when we develop new features, they really like to be involved and understand the entire uh, way around and what uh, what drives like new sales, new MMR. Um, yeah, so, so from... From my point of view, it's, it's very important that they're also aligned, that we don't just, you know, keep them out of the loop, even though, of course, they still also want to produce a lot of code and uh, be very productive. But I think if you just sit them, set them down in one of the meetings you have anyways, and then just give them a quick, briefly update on it, then, uh, then they can get a little bit of the best of both worlds. Yes, certainly. Some interesting points there about breaking down strategy and that enabling the, the engineers to see exactly the value they're providing. I mean, Manish, you posed this question to the group, so I'm sure you have a couple of a couple of opinions yourself, so we'll bring it back round to you. Absolutely. I mean, such a great discussion and great points from, from all of you. And I think, like Vasily mentioned, there's no silver bullet uh, to, to the solution. Like Stephanie was saying, it, it is hard work to bring them uh, and to translate the vision uh, to them and like Natasha mentioned uh, you know they need to feel some of them will feel part of the uh, by themselves and for some of them you have to and um, I think um, from where uh, from where I see it is uh, we are on as Maersk we are um, 
on a transformation journey to to be product uh, a product company and uh, we have got a lot of uh, new colleagues from the tech technical world who don't understand uh, as much business as we do and we don't understand tech as much as they do and it's, it's like a classic example of uh, you know <laughs> talking in their codes like code languages i mean they talk about uh, data science and uh, we talk about you know marketing plans and it doesn't coincide and and what we learned uh, is that uh, from our examples because we want to conduct uh, quick examples fail fast together as a team and then grow and uh, I'll, I'll share an example so we were trying to do an online test uh, to show some of our customers certain widgets and features uh, that they could buy and we were not seeing that adoption uh, online and we tried to figure out uh, and we were telling the tech team okay can you do this thing and they would do that and we wouldn't see the result and can you do that they they would do it and still wouldn't show us the result and we then in one of the meetings like let's have them just listen to what we're talking as business and uh, they listening to our conversation they just uh, figured out oh you guys are looking uh, to find the population of customers that suits your product and uh, we can use that very simply by using data science um, uh, you know the cosine and they gave a lot of methods like you know there is a cosine method of finding uh, customer persona attributes and they can reach out to the same customers uh, who would who they feel using data uh, would be more inclined to buy a product and it became so much simpler for us to, uh, to see the product up, uh, uptake because because they knew who are the right customers and all they needed to know was what we're trying to achieve as our vision uh, for this product not just build that feature so sometimes we felt uh, then that you know we're, we're giving them too little information uh, and so they're only doing that if you give them the whole view uh, then they also see it uh, from where we see it and you know probably give us more than what we want we would never we would never even not even know that, that they could deliver so much uh, you know because we don't know uh, their capabilities so so that's what uh, yeah I see some hands yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, to react a little bit both on what uh, Vasily said and, and what, what you're saying, Manish. Uh, the first thing was about, you know, how personal it is. I think there's very different uh, personalities within a development team. Uh, you have uh, developers who will be uh, greatly involved in all kinds of aspects of a business uh, where you have others who literally just wants to get through their task and, and move on to the next one and don't really care about what is the business, the vision, what is the expected outcomes. Um, I think one of the things I've noticed from, you know, during my career as a product manager and product owner is that um, considering uh, developers are just, uh, you know, um, how to say uh, deliverables, like they're just delivering, that's usually a big mistake and that's where you see mm -hmm. the lack of commitment. And what you're saying, Manish, with involving the developers actually closer to the business and, and maybe, you know, also defining the vision and, and what are the outcomes is actually one of the best way uh, to get them motivated. Um, and that's something that I've also been trying. So we have this process around the OKRs and, and mm -hmm. some, you know, uh, key results can be something that is defined by the management. Um, and I've actually been finding a little bit, you know, internally uh, to try to get developers involved earlier in that process, because I actually believe that key results should be defined by the team. Uh, and I can really notice uh, the difference uh, how in terms of engagement. Uh, and, and that's something at least that I want to do more of, uh, 
go get get even you know developers in, involved in every aspect of the product or the business uh, development. I think that's that's really important, and also getting them into user testing, user feedback. You know, um, I think that's that's how you get generally people more engaged, right? Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think Stephanie just read my mind. I was uh, about to say exactly the same thing. I think I think it's so important to involve uh, uh, the developers early. Uh, and also, like I've seen also in some cases when uh, it works so much better if you don't come down with a solution and ask them to implement that, but instead you actually involve them in the problem and involve them in those very early discussions where uh, you're just presenting, okay, what's the user problem or what we are trying to achieve here? And then together, together with the designer, together, together with the product manager, uh, together with a business person as well, uh, come up with something that's perhaps, you know, the right balance between how quickly it takes to implement something, uh, what is the problem that it uh, that it solves, and also, you know, what's the, the impact of that uh, solution. So oftentimes you see in companies when, you know, the, the leadership team comes, okay, we need to implement this feature or we need to solve. It's, it's coming basically with solution suggestions and asks, asks the, the, the designers and the developers to just implement that solution. But it should be sometimes, like most of the times I would argue, should be flipped the other way around, involve everyone that will eventually be involved in, the, in, in implementing that, that feature or that product, involve them as early as possible, and then you know, ask them to join that brainstorming uh, at the beginning and to, to figure out what's the solution to the problem. I just have a wrapping comment on this is that what we're trying to adopt now, and we're absolutely learning as well as we go, is that uh, we see product owners um, as, as mini CEOs. So you're responsible for your time uh, and management of the resources that you have, which includes your tech colleagues. And if you have to make it work like it's your own business. So you don't have the luxury of time because someone else is going to develop uh, something if, if you're going to miss that boat and opportunity. And, and so we're so conscious of, of trying to uh, make sure financially uh, we're doing something that's viable and doesn't take a lot of time. and even though uh, you even if you have the resources of, of of funding right and because you're racing against time and everyone's time is important not just yours even the, the techies and if they don't see results then they also feel that they, they might feel demotivated about it they, they oh they are not able to help as much and i mean that's the whole thing why you know we feel it's so important but Great, great points, and thank you very much. Yeah, some brilliant takeaways from that question alone. I mean, Manish putting forward that a product owner is almost a mini CEO. When Stephanie and Vasil come to an agreement that you do need to involve them in the problem, you need to involve your engineers, flip it rather than having a predefined solution, and this is the answer, this is what we want you to do, flip it and involve them to improve engagement. And even Stephanie, or sorry, even Natasha, when you said, you know, you need to enable them to understand the value they're providing. And you made a very interesting point when you said you sit down with them in meetings, which brings us nicely onto our next question, which was posed by Stephanie. So in these times where a lot of um, a lot of companies are operating a remote first policy, how do you create a cohesive sense of being part of your team for your developers? Yeah, so maybe I should give a little bit of um, introduction to this question. So I think, um, I've, you know, like all of us before uh, the pandemic, um, I used to work in an office going there every single day. I used to have all my colleagues sitting in one place uh, very seldom, yeah, sometimes there would be teams uh, across the globe, but it was most of our colleagues were close to each other. Then the pandemic hit and, and then a new culture started. And that's related to this, but it's also related to the fact that 
We also have a lot of scarce uh, resources. For example, in Denmark, it's very hard to find really gifted developer at a reasonable price, and there's lots of startups. So obviously, you need to go and find your resources abroad. So so we have this, you know, this new culture of the remote first, and it's it's really a challenge. And I would love to hear, you know, some of your um, ideas around. Yeah, how to keep, you know, how to make developers engaged and, and generally how this works for you. I guess I can go uh, maybe share some of my experience. Um, again, there's no silver bullet in this one as well. You'll have to look at, in my opinion, to look at your context and kind of I think it's also relevant what you're saying. Most of the companies have been working mostly on site and then they are forced from one day to another to just completely shift into working remotely. Um, but I think there is a lot of inspiration to be drawn from companies that have already been working remotely even before the pandemic. There are a lot of companies which have started remotely and they have continued uh, to work remotely uh, you know, throughout their whole uh, life cycle. And of course, it's tricky because you know, they had the advantage of actually adapting to that. Uh, they had the advantage of putting in place all the processes and all the onboarding. And you know, whenever a new person would join their company, uh, expectations that they will be working remotely will be already there so then kind of it grew organically and the culture of the company adapted organically to, to working remotely um, but there's still some you know to let's say get inspired from in terms of the tools in terms of the processes and how they keep each other updated and so on but most likely will not you know apply one-to-one -one. Um, but like a more practical device so to say or what i've seen working uh, quite well in our case is to have a, a bias to towards over communication and mm -hmm. also communication in writing uh, rather than like of course companies before would exchange inevitably knowledge from one head to another so to say randomly at water cooler, cooler meetings or whenever somebody will go and have a coffee or you know a lunch break then people will just talk to each other and then a lot of information will be exchanged that way but but if you have somebody that works remotely uh, let's say half of your team is working from the office and then you have a few uh, that are working remotely, then there is a real danger, so to say, that they will be left out, so to say, out of, and they will miss a lot of um, super useful information. That's why I think in general, it's a really good idea to have all the decisions or at least the most decision, most important decisions to be taken in writing and also publicly, so to say, in public. Let's, if you're using Slack, let's say, use public channels so that information is accessible. If somebody wants to find something, they should always be able to find and use private channels only if there is a good reason and if, if it's necessary. But yeah, over communication and you know, trying to build the habit of writing longer and well-structured messages um, is, is, a, is you know, something that has been working well for us. Um, the opposite of that is also you know, having too many meetings. Uh, of course, you want to keep people in sync, but then you also hear about people talking uh, uh, that they have too many meetings, too, like the Zoom fatigue, as, uh, as it's called today. That's also a super real challenge. Um, how to solve it? I guess what I've, what advice I gave to, to, to my teams were to try to group the meetings in one particular part of the day and then leave maybe the first part of the day for focused work and then do the, the collaboration. So to say, try to do it uh, grouped together and don't have... Uh, too many kind of dead spots or slots between different meetings. In general, at least for developers, it takes quite a bit of time to get into the zone uh, where you can actually focus and do work that requires a lot of attention. And then it, like the worst that you can do to an engineering team is to just book the meetings uh, with half an hour or one hour uh, time distance, so to say, in uh, between the meetings. Um, 
there's also the other aspect to working remotely, which is about you know keeping up the culture of the team. Uh, what I've seen working is whenever somebody would have an initiative of let's say creating a social event where the team would play an online game or um, somebody was working on a cool project on their on the side, then they wanted to share that with the team. I've seen working quite well, you know, encouraging that when you see this sort of sort of uh, you know pockets or initiatives, pockets of initiatives about you know socializing and bringing something to to to, to the team, try to encourage those and then uh, you know ask people to come forward and then you know bring something they could share with the with with, with the team. I didn't see it working so well when it was top down when you know you had this uh, okay let's have a meeting where we socialize next friday that doesn't really work unless you know it comes naturally from from within the team uh, itself um, like it's i think it works best obviously best when the company is fully remote it's much worse when you have half of the team or half of the company on site than just a few remote uh, team members because then again a lot of the information is lost in direct conversation at the lunch break or when people meet for a coffee um, it also makes it painful in meetings. Uh, we tried to do, like whenever we had somebody that had to join a meeting and they were not in the office, we were trying sometimes to take the meeting fully online. So then we would join from our desks with the headphones. And I've seen that actually working quite well, or at least for the remote person, it definitely creates a much better experience. It doesn't necessarily for the ones in the office because it's much more natural to just go together in a meeting room and then you know be there together. But I think... Overall, you know, for the sake of uh, keeping everyone included in, in the important conversations, I think it's better that way. If you have somebody working uh, remotely, just take the meeting uh, from your desk call and then uh, don't have the hybrid, unless you have a really, really good hybrid setup. And of course, there is also the obvious uh, one, which just bring the team every now uh, and then together to physically meet for, I don't know, several days or a week where you... You do focus on work related to company, obviously, but also leave a lot of room for social uh, stuff as well. Yeah, that's my take on it. Certainly some interesting points there. I mean, Manish, what's your take on it? I think that the industry uh, is very evolved, the tech industry, uh, in in terms of working remotely. We, the rest of the world has just seen it now, but they, they have been doing it since ages because... Uh, uh, I mean, you could be a you know tech engineer from India, and you're solving problems for a customer in UK, for example, or or, or US, and you don't have uh, probably you're not flying out there. You're working remotely, and you're working in different time zones, and uh, you know a lot of time. And, and they have progressed. I mean, uh, so, uh, so so I think it's possible. Where I feel uh, the challenge is in the initial kickoff until you get aligned, because once they know what they have to deliver, uh, they will go with supersonic speed. Uh, the challenge that they have is, I mean, what we're doing is is exactly what you guys want or not. And uh, how we, we've been solving it is uh, we've got our tech centers in, in India for long, and um, it's been working in a very, very good way for us because we have... Uh, uh, we've, we've set up frameworks to operate uh, and, and we've broken down the big things into small. Uh, so we don't wait for like six months for something to be delivered. We just, you know, do a sprint of two weeks uh, and just see the trajectory of development. Is it the right thing that we want? Is it going in the right direction? And then it saves time and effort for everyone. You can quickly go back to the drawing board, uh, rebut it and then do something uh, from start. And uh, the only challenge, uh, you know, you feel is that you can't express, but we've also tried to solve that by doing sketches. 
So sometimes it's very difficult to explain. So so we make a sketch on paper and scan it and send it to them. And they're like, okay, now I understand it better because your words are, you know, giving me a different picture. Uh, so we keep doing these uh, creative things and keep asking them, how can we make you understand better? And they, they give some, they, like, give me a voice note. <laughs> you know, it's, it's better than an email. And uh, we figured out all of these things work a lot better. And I like that point Vasily said about celebrating success uh, together remotely. That could be a challenge, but um, it is, it is, and it's a pity that you, it's a shame you can't enjoy it together as a team. But then um, what we do is <laughs> our teams uh, in, in the remote places, they have uh, an event of their own and, and, and then we share with each other how, how did we miss them and how did we enjoy. So, uh, I mean, it, it is, it is a challenge, uh, but but if we if we use the tools that are available, I think we can really mitigate uh, its impact to a large extent. Uh, is what we see. Yes, certainly. I know Stephanie, you posed a question. Would you like to give your take on it? Yes, definitely. Um, actually, the reason why I I posted the question is because it's it's very special for me this special uh, topic since um, the pandemic actually started when I got back from maternity leave. So I had been away from uh, from the working force for quite a while and then I come back to work used to a certain way of working with my team and then I come into a whole new team, a whole new set of products um, and it was extremely difficult for me to adjust at the beginning. But I am a strong believer that creating a, an informal, uh, you know, making people want to come to work and have fun is probably one of the best uh, best way to kickstart it, right? And you you mentioned Vasily around, you know, following processes that are already set. And in this case, there was no processes. It was a whole new team, totally newly formed with whole new people. Some of them were senior in the company. Some of them were whole new. Uh, and I had just got back, right? So it was it was real real challenge um i think the point about over communication and especially around in writing using slack using all kinds of tools is is definitely a really good point and something that we used a lot right so i would myself already communicate uh, at the start of the sprint around the goals and what we wanted to achieve right we would obviously cover that at the sprint planning but we i would write this down and like pin it to the to the channel uh, of our team. Um, it was also about, you know, like around those meetings, I would organize coffee breaks and games uh, and, and and try to really that, you know, that person that would kind of drive the culture of the team. Uh, and I think that's also one aspect is that sometime one person leaving the team who's a very strong, you know, how to say, like defender, uh, ambassador of a, of a culture for a team, that can also be a danger, actually, uh, especially when you're working remote, uh, because then suddenly you lose that person who will be setting up those coffee breaks and, you know, be the one leading those games. And and that was something I noticed, actually, when we had a developer leaving who was, uh, she was the meme queen, so she would make a tremendous amount of memes that would literally gather people around something really, really fun uh, throughout the day. And, and she was making memes that were really relevant because they were around the challenges that we were experiencing throughout the sprint. And when she left, uh, it was like, you know, we went from this high level of fun to almost zero. And I actually took on myself to start doing memes and I became the meme queen, uh, which is something that is really difficult in some areas, especially if you're the only one, right? Then you're feeling like 
are are people receptive like even though they're laughing is this is this okay does this make me look unprofessional right so it's it's also about like having a very strong um culture like defender ambassador of, of the culture um around the for example with meetings uh, i always try to push people to uh, put on the video so that we can see each other's faces that's also something that is really hard when you're doing uh, you know remote first and i really agree with this uh, hybrid vs you know um, like half remote full remote uh, it's it can be very exclusive uh, like excluding actually for some uh, who are not in sitting in the office, not being able to see everybody or if the sound is not really good. So we actually did the same in my previous company is that if we had, you know, three developers who were abroad, um, then all of us sitting at the office, we will all sit either at our desk or uh, and, and try to be like do a meeting that was fully remote. So nobody was excluded. And that worked uh, very well, actually. I think one thing that uh, is really important for me and and really helped me as a as a product manager is also really creating that atmosphere of trust. Um, and I think trust is one of you know is really really key when you're doing remote first. Obviously, um, as a product manager, it's really important that you're being kept in the loop about development and and you know how things are developing throughout the sprint. If you're working with sprint, of course. Uh, but but at least for me, it was really important to always say, I trust you. Like, you don't have to loop me in in every single decision. I'm always here if you need me and we can take a meeting, we can discuss on Slack, we can do a synchronous uh, discussion around a specific feature. But I trust that you will do, you know, the best uh, for this uh, goal that we have together. And I think that is something that has been really useful for me um, and, and creating this very... You know, let's have fun together, but we know that we will deliver what we are set to deliver together uh, and, and was really helping me. And we actually became, at least in my previous company, we became the team that everybody wanted to be part of. Like <laughs> we were the best flex and everybody loved uh, being part of this team because they knew that we were always delivering what we promised to deliver. But we were always having shitloads of fun. Um, sorry, pardon my language. Um, and that was that was really fun uh, to be part of that as a as a product manager. Um, and I'm I'm trying in this new position where I'm in in this new company where I've been about six months now. I'm trying to reproduce some of that, but I can feel that it's it's also about you know the existing culture of the company. Right here is a smaller company. It's a little bit harder to um, yeah try to do some of the same things that I was doing before. So I'm also trying to adapt. So there's a little less memes, even though I'm I'm, I'm trying to have fun. Uh, but the trust uh, is probably the thing that I'm keeping here uh, the, the strongest because that's I think everybody needs that, and it's it's always um, the path to being more successful as a team is if you trust each other. Some brilliant points there from the meme queen. I really like the way you said about being a, a cultural defender or ambassador. I think that's a, a key part of any team. But I mean, Natasha, would you like to have your input on um, things having a remote first policy? Yes. We don't really have that in Suvi, but uh, we had it in Plenty, of course. Um, and we actually did a lot of the things you said, Vasil, and the same for you, Stephanie. Uh, also, especially the one with, uh, you know, over, over-communicate and always make sure what you expect from them and uh, the trust you put in your in your team. I think that's very important that, that they are aware that uh, they're not being micromanaged. Um, and yeah, the same thing with the, the games and stuff just keeping up 
the the culture and trying to to keep everybody uh, involved here. Yeah. yeah, certainly. I think that can be harmful to the culture if engineers are micromanaged. And definitely some good points that come out of that, especially in regard to, I think the coin term that Vasil used was a Zoom pandemic in terms of meetings, which brings us on nicely to the next question posed by Natasha. How do you create an environment where your engineering development, your engineering and development team can focus as well as grow? So if you'd like to give us a little bit of context to this one, Natasha. Yes. Well, we all know that uh, developers usually like to uh, to know everything about the newest technology. They like to use uh, new languages all of a sudden. Um, and of course, they also want to grow, uh, whether that is being going from junior to mid-level to senior or if they want to grow uh, in any other way, learn new skills. Uh, so it's more how do you create an environment where they know that there is time for them to do this and how do you let them know that uh, it's okay to do so? Also in their working time so they don't have to spend all of their spare time on it every time. Great. Um, I'd like to like to share some thoughts on this. So, um, you know, uh, we have a development program uh, for our business side. Uh, of, of colleagues and you, you get to choose which uh, courses you want to do to upskill your uh, up, upskill yourself and um, and and you know we've, we've also extended the same program with our tech colleagues that you could also benefit from it because uh, we know that you have to technically upgrade yourself to be relevant all the time so so that's there a given but how do you increase your softer skills how do you increase your negotiation skills because that's also uh, very much needed when you negotiate with business uh, you shouldn't take a yes for every need that we would say hey can you do this and then you have uh, 10 needs and you can't deliver any one of them so we need them to say no uh, we need them to prioritize we need them uh, to be better able to articulate uh, uh, you know uh, different ways uh, and and you know uh, be more like business and that's where um, <clears throat> and, and that's where communication becomes a key <clears throat> so so we also spend some time uh, in in trying to coach them that uh, you know how budgets and numbers are built because uh, tech uh, works on absolute certainty uh, unlike business which is you know pretty loose and uh, <laughs> we have a vision you have numbers that you aspire so we also share uh, you know uh, how, how can they learn about this and move with ambiguity uh, you know moving with ambiguity is fine for us and, and uh, it's fine to fail and uh, you know we just try to share uh, how we work and i think it has it has really helped uh, a lot of our colleagues evolve uh, and aspire for higher roles uh, for team management uh, how do we manage in, in, in on the business side so i think there is a lot to share uh, for their development uh, and growth as well yes certainly Definitely some interesting points. I mean, Stephanie, if you'd like to carry on. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's obviously um, really awesome when you reach a point in a company where you're big enough and you can offer, you know, programs and, you know, really expand the knowledge. Obviously, that's not necessarily the case uh, for companies. Um, and I think, you know, when you're working, for example, in a startup, it can be a little bit difficult to keep, um, you know, developers you know, and, you know, especially if you're working always with the same technology, right, we keep keeping them engaged. Um, and also, I would say the speed of how things are being de developed can also be uh, constrained uh, for developers to spend time learning new technologies or because everything goes so fast. Um, you, you know, we need to develop new features quite fast because we're growing, we're scaling up. Um, so that's obviously uh, a challenge. 
but but we try as much as possible at least at, at Portchain, we try really to give you know learning opportunities for developers and try to allocate time. And I think as a product manager, one of the thing, one of the role that I really try to take on to myself is being a gatekeeper. Is that if there is allocated time for learning new technologies or spending a day just reading about something that is, you know, a passion or an interest uh, for one of the developers, is really trying to uh, protect that time as much as I can. If there are priorities that needs to be, uh, you know, addressed, then I will try to either find someone else to do it, or I will just try to manage, do the stakeholder management on my side without affecting uh, the time that was allocated for the developer. It's really about trying to remove some of the pressure. And even though we're in this pressure cooker and we obviously need to reach the business goals and all that, trying to, you know, kind of mitigate uh, of that and balance, you know, the fact that, yeah, we have high priorities, but, you know, taking care of yourself and your learnings and what you want to achieve as a developer and how you want to grow is is also something that is really important and will, will likely also make the developer want to stay in the company, which is obviously what everyone wants, right? Turnover of employees because they get tired of working with the same old, stupid, annoying technology is definitely not something we want to do, right? So try to keep them engaged by doing this balancing act is also something that a PM, I believe, uh, should be doing. That's my take on it. Nice. I would like maybe to add a few, because like you mentioned a few super good points, Stephanie, uh, the one with allowing them to learn. I think that's like so important, but also so often, uh, let's say, overlooked by, uh, by especially maybe the business side of the company, because it's really difficult to tie, uh, you know, the time the developers would spend on learning something new to actual, you know, let's say even uh, revenue of the company. So to tie it to, to the financial side and to see or to show that there is a direct correlation. But but it's extremely crucial, especially like for quite a few reasons. First, the whole industry uh, is moving quite fast. I mean, whatever you're you're using to program five years ago, it's not uh, is not the case uh, now. Of course, there are. I'm exaggerating a little bit now. Of course, there are technologies which are, you know, staying for longer than five years. But it's extremely important to to, to keep up with the, the latest developments, not only because you know engineers feel motivated to do so and they always or usually like to to learn new stuff, but also because the new technologies are like literally better, and that's why they also attract a lot of uh, new eyes uh, onto them. It might be that perhaps if by switching to the new, uh, let's say, framework that maybe uh, has recently came out is, you know, going to gain you a lot of time because you don't have to do, you know, some stuff manually that you had to do with maybe previous technology you're, you're using. Um, but yeah, I think like that part with creating an environment for the engineers to continuously learn is extremely important. Um, at, like at the previous company, we used to have this 20% time rule, which would be that one day a week, the engineers would be able to choose uh, something that you would want want to work on. Ideally, it will be related to the company, to to you know to the company technology and product, but not necessarily. Um, and I, it might sound scary, let's say for the top management, saying that okay, how could you allow the whole engineering team to spend 20% time or like one day in five on something that's not really directly related to one of the product or, or the features we're building? But it, it it shouldn't because most of the engineers they would, if not all, they would actually look into always keeping up with the technologies they were already using because everyone wants to be better at you know what they are doing on a daily basis uh, of course there are 
cases here and there when uh, somebody will be uh, drawn into something that perhaps is not directly related. But overall, it's a, it, it, it is a clear win for the company to have engineers that are better than they were, let's say, last week or last year. Mm. But in terms of actually, you know, having an environment where they could, could grow, uh, it's also important to, to put in place a path, so to say, for the engineers to, uh, you know, companies call it career plan or career path, where you have the different, let's say, um, areas or sides of what it means to be an engineer and what actually it takes to move from one level to another, what aspects of, you know, the, the daily work, whether it's communication, uh, different technologies, uh, you know, uh, learning how to train others around you and one board them and uh, writing documentation and so on. It's, um, it's not really a recipe to be followed step by step. I've seen some people making that mistake. And it's also like, if you want to, to, to use it, um, let's say, across the whole department and across the whole, like all the levels that you may have in a company, then you have to do it generic enough so that it fits all the different, you know, cases you have. But because you make it generic enough, then it's also really difficult to, to follow it step by step. So it's not something that, you know, in general should be uh, followed by the book, but it is a good guiding, so to say, tool uh, that then the engineers and their managers can actually follow through uh, in order to, you know, to improve on the different dimensions. In general, you know, engineers are super motivated to work. With, good engineers are super motivated to work with other good engineers. So trying to keep a high bar for the quality of the code that's written, for the quality of the, the work that is produced, not only helps the company directly because you are producing better products, uh, but also it helps attract better talent as well. Because yeah, engineers want to do like good engineers want to work with uh, with other good engineers as well. Um, like another thing that we were doing at the previous company, it was. Of course, we were working with a very broad area of technologies, but we always um, tried to kind of uh, have a balance between people moving around within the engineering team. If they found, found, let's say, something interesting in another team, then we would encourage them, hey, just always make sure that you are, you know, raising uh, or, let's say, flagging what other team or what other project you would want to work on so that your manager will then know if there is room for that and if uh, you know the new project or the, the the other project or the other team would need more people uh, to to work on on there, then they will know that okay, let's move you there. So that then you get the win-win basically. You get the engineer that gets to work with the technology that they wanted, but you also get help on the other side of the engineering. So try to find opportunities within the whole engineering organization uh, for people to move around, uh, both to satisfy their curiosity, but also to you know uh, add help uh, and hands on deck when where it's needed. Yeah, that's a that's my take for now. Yeah, definitely some intriguing points. I mean, I like the way that you set you set one day aside so that they can continue to learn, you know, new technologies. You give them that chance to be innovative and to develop their own skill set. Some of the other points that were raised in terms of giving learning opportunities it's certainly essential for you know engineers to be able to focus and grow. But I'm looking forward to hearing Natasha's Natasha's input. I mean, this was a question that she put forward. Yes. Um... Well, we are not a big company either, but we actually also did like uh, you did, Manish, with um, sort of a program. For us, it's just called a five-star rating, so it's also a bit of a career plan. Uh, so we don't, you know, we don't really have the resources to put them into like an educational system, but we give them this structure that they can always uh, follow. And then we follow up each month. We uh, sit down and have like a one-hour chat that's their forum where they can bring uh, everything to to me that they want to talk about. So uh, if they found something new they're really passionate about, then we can see, okay, how can we allocate some time? Can you use it in 
the work we're still doing right now. Uh, so it becomes relevant for uh, for Suvi and what can we do? Uh, and then also uh, for me, uh, also in regards to the protectiveness of their time, as you mentioned, Stephanie, um, I think that's really important just uh, in general to make sure that that they don't get interrupted or anything. Uh, and for us, we, we set up uh, a lot of clear and structured processes. Um, so the entire team knows uh, how to approach uh, the team and then everyone knows who's responsible for what sort of to also make sure that they don't just get you know distracted and you know always uh, interrupted in their their daily work um yeah and then i also like the thing about the 20 uh, percent time the entire day to to work on something new as you said Basile. we uh, we collect them into uh, <laughs> every six months we have hackathons so they can uh, all well you know most developers love those and they, they then they can really try off new technologies and they can develop stuff uh, for the company still. And we've had uh, high success with that one as well. Um, and I think everyone really loved it. Um, and then also just I try to encourage them to work together two and two because, of course, they have different skill sets and they know uh, a lot. So having them like spare, spare with each other. Uh, to make each other better, as you also said, good developers like to work with other good developers. So uh, yeah, basically agreeing with all of your input, uh, it was really good. Yeah, thank you for your input, everybody. And that brings us nicely on to the final question. So Vasil, if you'd like to pose your question to the group. Yep, we'll do that. So I was just thinking to to ask you and hear some thoughts from you on how do you get the buy-in from the development team uh, when you actually start to work on a new project or uh, or a new feature. Some features or some projects might be boring than others. Uh, some are, may not be as clear or as, or as expected as others. Might be a request from a customer uh, or it might be something that was on the product roadmap before. But um, yeah, how do you get the buy-in from uh, the development team? Maybe Natasha, you can go. Yes. Um, whenever we are starting a new project uh, here at us, I always think it's very important to actually start with the developers. At least, you know, we all know what are we going to do. We have a, kind of a high level idea. But the first thing I do is always to go to my uh, my team and bring them in like one of the first things because they know what's possible technically uh, and, and get that as uh, the first thing and have them like, it come with their input and pros and cons of uh, what could be possible for the idea um, just to give a baseline before we move on to involve the designer um, and speak more uh, to the customers uh, to, to get like in-depth knowledge about their needs so that's kind of the first thing I do and then of course as we go I always have uh, review meetings so the designers are kept in loop, in loop together with the developers and they can kind of spare together what would be possible. Um, I know this might not work in bigger companies but I think for us as a small company it, it really works well that the developers are so involved um, also because they, they get in touch with the customers a little bit. We sometimes bring them on too when we have these like in-depth interview meetings with our customers and and i find it very valuable uh, that they're so involved uh, and then we're all aligned on what could be possible sometimes they even bring up uh, ideas that were actually better uh, solutions than what the customers had in mind themselves and i think that's uh, really amazing and, and you know provides uh, a, actually a better product for us 
Maybe I can follow up on on this one. Actually, um, I think it's um, the way you do it. I mean, we probably work in a, a similar sizes company. It's very small as well here at Portchain. So often it's about starting with the developers. Um, what is what is something that we focus on is really trying to voice more of the the outcome because and the value and and that is because often. We will have a bunch of, you know, requests from users uh, about features, um, or, or, you know, like trying to draw a project that is very well defined about what is what is it that we're going to develop, right? And often, when when we try to reverse it and and look at the value and then talk within the team, you know, involving obviously the developers and and the designer, often we figure out that maybe the the feature or the project that we were thinking is is not very well defined. Or it's not really the direction where we're going. So so definitely, you know involving uh the team early is is super, is very important right um i think it actually ties up quite well to the first question that we had about the business you know about the outcome uh, and the expected outcome because if, you know if if we just come in with the talking about like a full-fledged project and full-fledged feature then probably no one is going to be very committed so so really involving the team early in in that process in the very early stage of that process even before there is a design even before we've thought of a solution i think is probably one of the the best way to get everyone uh, everyone's buy-in and everyone motivated so that's usually what we do i, I really like the idea of, of the review meetings throughout the project uh, and and generally just keeping everyone involved right we've also actually invited developers when we're doing user testing so even before we actually get to the solution where we're still looking into the concepts and we're doing user interviews then we will get developers involved um, they can tell us about the feasibility of the, the solution or what we're thinking to to, to convey as, as a concept uh, and also come up with new suggestions that we didn't even think about and and i really like that actually i think that's that's really, um, yeah, the best way to keep everyone involved, everyone motivated, and and actually coming with the best uh, solution uh, possible. Yeah, certainly some insightful points there on the first two. And if there's one thing that I love about this panel, as well as the diversity in the two male and two female, it's the diversity in the size of the organisations that you work for. And the two points initially in regard to flipping it on its head and starting with the engineers first to reach a solution. I'm interested to get Manish's take on how this works in a larger organization. Yeah, I mean, um, we're a large organization, so um, it, it's a little different maybe, uh, but not necessarily a lot. Uh, we need to have the business alignment first uh, when we go for anything. And once that's signed off, uh, uh, then things are uh, relatively easier. But, but one of the rules that we have is that we do not develop anything that doesn't excite anyone. So it has to be, you know, exciting for customers. It has to be a wow factor for the management as well. And if you are able to stimulate everyone, then then it becomes easier because then you're really doing something. And if it's a boring idea, then we feel that we haven't cracked it yet and we're just doing trying to do something just for the heck of it. So. Uh, but it, it's easier said than done when you have to <laughs> excite <laughs> excite people and uh, yeah so uh, but we try to keep it exciting and we try to keep it funny we try to keep uh, you know the, the uh, make the tech developers realize the value it's going to give it to them because uh, if it's a success then the company is successful and it's them who've been part of this uh, transformation journey uh, from the beginning, right? They they are the ones who built Rome, so to say. 
So, so that's how uh, we, we keep each other. We try to keep each other engaged and excited. Yes, thank you for that input, Manish. And last but not least, we'll pose a question back to Basil. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I heard everything that I wanted to hear, to be honest. <laughs> I can imagine that you all have a really happy developers around you. But it was like really spot on. I think involving the, the engineers, the developers, extremely early in the process and don't uh, putting a solution forward, but in fact, coming back, coming with actually, uh, with actually a problem and then discuss it together to find a solution and then do that together from all the angles of, you know, of the team. I think that's really the best that I've seen working. And sometimes also be really, really clear and communicate the why. Why do you actually care about this problem? Um, why is that more important than the others? Why, you know, the why is always, uh, should be there as well. Um, and in some cases, it might be just a, you know, a, a boring answer that because the customers want it or because we just have a checkmark feature that we just have to implement it. Uh, the competition has it and we can see we can sell better if we have it as well. Then just be honest about that. Don't, don't try to bullshit and then trying to invent, invent false reasons when you when just when you know there is a there is a good reason mention it if if you don't know then that's also a, an answer rather than uh, you know trying to to come up with uh, you know bullshit so to say but i think what i've also seen working really well was sharing the the success of previous projects or previous features so you know a project a feature starts you develop it you work it and then it shouldn't just completely get lost and then you just jump on the new one just have a retrospective look you know the previous one that you have implemented and then uh, you know share feedback from the customers and how they loved it whether they loved it or why they didn't love it and then you know get some learnings from from that one as well um and ideally also when you start something new you would have some way to to measure the success of that project or, or that feature how do we know that after we have implemented, you know, it was the right thing to have implemented at that time? Is it the number of users using it? Is it, uh, I don't know, just it's a good ingredient to bring, so to say, that stage um, uh, so that, you know, it's clear afterwards for everyone that, uh, the, that the project or the feature was a success or not. So at this point, I just put it out to the, the panel if there's any further questions or anything else you'd like to add. But in that case, I'd like to thank you all for some amazing contributions. If you'd like to be involved in a future podcast, please approach me on LinkedIn or email me at connor.leyland at evolution-nordics.com. I'll see you all soon.